The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. God so loved the world that he gave us his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Forgot once again to announce at the beginning, but today is Holy Trinity Sunday. And so Holy Trinity Sunday happens the first Sunday after Pentecost, kind of the first Sunday of ordinary time after the Lent and Easter season. And then we also have Corpus Christi happening the next uh, Sunday, the feast day of the most holy body and blood of Jesus Christ. And these are important feast days because they kind of remind us of some of the most important things of our faith. And the Holy Trinity being one of those. One of the most important theological uh, principles that we have and one of the most uh, important distinguishing uh, dogmatic, you know, kind of uh, foundational principles Believes is the Trinity. Although I don't think most of us really get it. Well, I, nobody really gets it because it's a mystery, but you know, so it can't be completely explained. But I don't think a lot of us uh, even understand the basicness of it. Um, and, and one of the ways that I'll kind of uh, say that a lot of people don't is that a lot of the time we reference God and then we'll say, oh yeah, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? Well, Actually, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God, right? So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have three gods, or three, not three gods, three persons, one God, one substance. When often we say God, we're talking often about the person of the Father, and so that's often kind of the implication, but sometimes we don't know that. So often when Scripture references God, and even Jesus says this, he referenced God as somebody other than himself, right? And he's doing this specifically referencing the person of the Father. We ourselves also often do this, uh, but I think it's really important for us to really understand what the Trinity is and what that means for us because it, it means a lot for us. And one of the things that we do every single day, hopefully, Uh, To remember the Trinity, actually, but yet not remembering the Trinity, is making the sign of the cross. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call to mind the Trinity every single time we make the sign of the cross, right? We remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, and we also call to mind that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what does that tell us about God? Well, I'd like to specifically unpack three different things that I think is really important for us today to know about God from the Holy Trinity. First, is that God is a God of presence. It sort of links in with the Trinity, but mostly uh, with today. Second, is that God is a God of communion. And third, is that God is a God that condescends to raise up. So the first one is that God is a God of presence. I think this is a really important principle for us to realize, specifically here today, um, when we get to come and be physically present once again to Mass. 
and just want to say that God is not a God of virtual presence. It's sometimes we might feel like as if God's a God of virtual presence, right? We're talking on the phone with him and all of a sudden it starts to shut, you know, short out and we're like, wait, what, sorry, what did you say? I can't quite, can't quite hear you. You know, uh, sometimes we feel like that, like as if he's really distant from us. But God is a God of presence. Well, how do we know that? Because the second person of the Trinity, Jesus himself, was sent by the Father, right? The Father said, hey, go down and, and be with my people. Be the, my presence with our people, right? And God became man and was present with us, not just virtually, not just spiritually, not just through creation, but through his very present, physically present to us. And he continues to be physically present to us through the sacraments. I can't do a virtual confession. Part of that is because presence is necessary. I can't virtually give you communion. You can make a spiritual communion, but it's not quite the same as physically receiving communion, right? But, of course, physically receiving is also spirit. You know, right? There are two different aspects to it, the spiritual and physical, but they should work together in the fullness, uh, and they're not completely separated. And so even though that we've been having virtual Mass, and that is the best thing that we can do, it's still not as good as being present because God is ultimately a God of presence. God could have just remained as the Trinity and continued to exist, but in His Trinity, in His love, the second person of the Trinity was sent. And the, fa- the Son ascended back to the Father, right? But now the Holy Spirit is present to us. Not just in a virtual way, but in a real way. And God, Jesus continues to be present with us, specifically in the Eucharist. God is a God of presence. And I think it's more important than ever to realize that today. That we're never alone. That God is present to us. And that we are present to Him. Secondly, God is a God of communion. This is, I think, the heart of what makes Christianity really uh, di- really distinct and-, and completely different than all other religions, is that God is a God of communion. He's not an individual God of, of kind of uh, by himself, but he is a God who is three persons in one substance, one God, but yet three persons. And in that three persons is a communion. At the heart of God himself, he is a communion of three persons. And that changes everything about the way that we understand who God is, how we relate to him, and why and how he created us and the world. Because God did not create individual beings to be individual because he himself is not even an individual person by himself, but instead is of communion, and that we are also called in his image and likeness to be in communion. First with him, but also with one another. We are creatures, we are made for communion. Because God is communion. It's not just something that we experience here on the earth, but it is at the heart of God, and the heart of his creation is communion, which at the heart of communion, right, is love. 
That we know that the Father pours himself completely out in the love of his Son, and that the Son pours himself completely out in love of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is that love. That's kind of one explanation, which gets at, it gets at mostly. It doesn't explain the mystery completely, but the fact is, is that those, the persons of the Trinity love each other and pour themselves out of communion, and it's part of the reason why we're created. Is because love is generous, and it doesn't keep itself keep keep to itself. It has to give, right, and be generous. And so God created us out of the generosity of the Holy Trinity, out of the generosity of that communion and love that is at its core who God is, and that changes how we relate to God. God is of communion, and God created us for communion. Lastly, is God is a God that condescends to raise up. Now, I think this is important. We hear in uh, the, the gospel that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, we know, we often think of condescending as a bad term, right? If somebody's condescending to you, it's not good. Uh, it's because condescending is somebody who approaches you with a superior attitude, right? Well, I'm superior than you. I know, yeah, I know everything and you don't really understand it, right? That's condescending. Well, with most human beings, that's not good, right? We, we shouldn't condescend to other people. But in God's case, it's absolutely right, right? God is superior to us. He's superior to us in everything. And so when he condescends to us, it's not out of order. That's exactly what it should be. And in fact, the root of condescending actually comes initially from, well, it seems like the root is from God. So con is actually together with, and descending is um, to give away or, or to kind of come, come with. And so there's actually condescending, is this togetherness in that? And so I think it's actually properly applied to God when he sends his son to condescend to be with us, right? Because it is below his dignity to become one of us. But yet he doesn't hold his dignity and his individualism as something to hold for himself, but instead he gives it away and gives it to us so that he might be with us. To be able to be with us in our suffering, in our difficulty, in our struggle. To listen to us, to understand, to always be with us in that. And ultimately, he condescends to become one of us. To ultimately, not to just remain with us in this dirt, in this suffering, in this earth. But ultimately, to raise us up to be with him. And I think this... All three of these, I think, are important principles that we need to live, right? Need to understand so that we might understand what Christianity calls us to. That is different than other religions. It's different than those around us because we know who God is and what he made us to be. And primarily, uh, I wish, you know, Christianity more than ever needs, uh, I think, has something to say in the public sphere about who, who humanity is, what we're made for, and what we should be doing, right? Christianity answers so many of these difficult questions and gives answers when otherwise simplistic answers are given. And to be able to say that, 
yeah, it's, it's complex, but we're called ultimately to love and to, con- and to be with people and to be in communion with people, right? And I think that these need to be applied to all of our, our problems today and to be spoken in the public sphere. And one of the most important ones that I think needs to be, uh, or not maybe, probably one of the most, one of the ones that are probably a little bit more relevant right now is just with the, the tragedy of George Floyd, right? We've all heard on the news, right? Uh, George Floyd, no matter where we are and what we understand of the situation or what we believe, ultimately the loss of any life is a tragedy, right? We also understand that protests are inherent within an important part of our country, but also realize that riots are not the way either, right? We recognize that even with that tragedy that also the riots aren't the answer and that we should also be, uh, there, there's a certain sadness in the way that, you know, police, police precincts are burned and, and businesses are destroyed in these riot scenes. And we realize that that's not the right response. What, it, what is the right response to this all? Well, um, I think that the riots are certainly a response because we haven't always given the right response, Right. We haven't responded in the way. We haven't corrected certain injustices that are inherent within our society and with our, in our culture as whole. And certainly they're much more complex than most people can explain or even that we can understand. Absolutely. These are incredibly complex, although simple problems, right? And what we need to apply is we need to not just apply worldly wisdom. We need to apply the Christian message. The Christian message that God is a God of presence, of communion, and condescends not to tear down, but to raise up. And I think this is one of the most important principles um, in this this final part, is, is the Christian is called to listen, to actually divest ourselves of sometimes our dignity or what we think is ours, actually divest ourselves like the sun to raise, to lower ourselves, to be together with those who are suffering in difficulty and to listen and to be with, just as Jesus did, just as Jesus suffered with us and ultimately went to the cross. But he didn't do that in vain. He didn't do that just to make us feel better, to be able to say, yay, he knows what suffering is. But ultimately to raise us up to be in communion and in love and in presence with him. What's our end goal in this all? Our end goal is to be with God in heaven, to be fully present to God who became fully present to us, to be in full communion with God, And we can only do that because God first became one of us in his love for us, in his Trinitarian love, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loved us so much that they sent the Son to be with us, to condescend us, to be together with us, and to raise us up to him, to his dignity, to his love, to his communion, to his life. And so we give thanks to God for that, and and we seek to understand God more so that we might understand more what we as Christians following Jesus Christ, following the Trinity, being fully in the image and likeness of God might also live with him.
And so it's so important for us to understand who God is, even in this confusing theological language, even in the mystery of it all, to be able to continue to, to grow and to be a community that, that shows forth who God truly is. Uh, not a God of solitary broodness, not a God who comes to condemn, but a God who is present, who is communion, and who loves us so much that he's willing to become one of us, to condescend, to raise us up.